This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are three Chicago composers who make music for the theater, Chris Kriz, Daniel Knox, and Greg Hurt. Chris is uh, recently was recently nominated in the Non-Equity uh, Jeffs for... Uh, Woman in White and uh, Pride and Prejudice and Count of Monte Cristo among a couple of others. Yeah, a long list. Um, and then Daniel was also nominated for his work on the Mary Archie production of The Glass Menagerie. Yep. Um, and then Greg uh, wrote the music for the Language Archive, which is currently playing at Piven Theater. So let's talk maybe about the um, the process um, for each of you. How. You know, if, if a director comes to you and says, I want you to make incidental music for my show, then what happens? So maybe Daniel, go to you. Well, I read the script over and over and over, and I talked with Hans on the phone like every other day, asked him weird questions in the middle of the night, but none of the actual composing was done until the last week. And I wrote it all kind of very, very quickly, you know, after this sort of uh, uh, study and, and going up to the piano and, and trying something and then throwing it away and, and, you know, just working up to something and then uh, charging straight through it. And so what that resulted in was, um, you know, a lot of string recording that we did. And then I took that string recording and during the uh, it existed as a sort of a suite of music um, that could be applied to different places in the show. And then when the rehearsals began and we started kind of, um, you know, I sat in and I watched the show and, and, and made my notes about it. And, and it became a matter of taking that suite of music and placing it different places, extending it with piano and, and drawing it out, you know, editing it, trying different things. It was written to have the, the pieces sort of, interlock in different ways and fit underneath each other in, in certain ways and come in and out. So what's an example of a weird question that you asked Hans in the middle of the night? Oh, gosh. <laughs> first, I mean, initially the first conversations were all about kind of ground rule type mm-hmm. type things, like where the music is and where it absolutely isn't what it what in it can, the script you mean which scenes in will the, and yeah have music. which mm-hmm. where music can go and where it absolutely can't go mm-hmm. and where where it kind of steps out and where it sits back mm-hmm. and and once you kind of agree about all of that you know then you can start talking about the tone of it i wanted to you know initially i thought i thought it was going to be a lot busier than it ended up being mm-hmm. and i I wanted to infuse it with music that was sort of similar to the period, not just um, what you would hear on the radio, but but classical music of that period and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I, I listened to a lot of like Aaron Copeland scores and things. I really like mm-hmm. his score to Our Town and yeah. and things like that. And were you talking about um, instrumentation? Did does Hans say yes? I want he strings. Really, yeah, no, he really I don't wanted want strings, uh-huh. and 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 we agreed about that. Um, but he didn't really like push a certain tone on me at all. Like mm-hmm. he kind of just knew what I did in my songs and sort of trusted me to bring out something, you know, from that. Yeah. So um, let's listen to just a tiny bit of the score for Glass Menagerie. This is Laura's theme. Yeah.
Nice. <laughs> so, Greg, then the same question to you um, with the language archive. What did uh, the d- directors, Polly Noonan? What did what kind of conversations did you and she have before the production? Um, um, I've known Polly for for many years, and I've worked with her before. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, a little bit with uh, doing music for readings that she's done and mm-hmm. and that. Um, but I've also done music for um, plays that she's been in. Um, and so we have, we kind of have an understanding of of each other. And, uh, and so uh, this one, we kind of just jump right in. Um, we talked a little bit about just keeping it simple. Um, for the sake of the script and for the sake of the size of the production also mm-hmm. because the, the play there is I mean it's a, it's a very small intimate space so you right. can't um, you can't have anything too much too big you know um, mm-hmm. so I went in with the first first reading and just tried playing along so I was actually on the like violin I, I was yeah I was another just improvising almost performer voice just sitting there mm-hmm. and they'd work on a scene and I sometimes I'd just I'd just watch them do it once and just trying to find appropriate places to mm-hmm. be where it needed something or if it wanted a um, just something underneath exclamation it, or, yeah. well yeah and a lot of it was there was some of it was functionality with um, transitions yeah. scene changes yeah. um, just to punctuate accent the the ending or the beginning of something new and then with the music for this it was to me it was uh, like there's an instance of finding you know a character finds a note yeah. and every time he would find a note there'd be I just tried to play a little just a little tone to be um, it ended up being just the emotional feeling of this the discovery the only times that I that I found that I wanted to have the music when they would speak of love. So I tried uh-huh. to make the music, the sound of the or the tones that would come in, just be Express. specifically, these are the times when the rest of the world kind of falls away. And, and the thing that's tough about that is you don't, I didn't want to lead the their, actors. you know, I very much wanted to follow their emotional line right you know it's very easy on the violin to you pluck the two wrong notes in something minor and all of a sudden it's depressing right, right. <laughs> or you pluck it happy and right. it's right. wrong so you didn't want to be directive to the actors exactly what they wanted to yeah. say or feel yeah and so as a result even in the last week there were things as they changed the pacing of the scenes mm-hmm. and their dialogue i was like well what i wrote there doesn't doesn't it fit doesn't anymore. fit, uh-huh. so it needs to be a little more neutral, a little more upbeat here. It needs to follow a little. So I'd go and re-record things. Um, well, and that's fascinating because one of the things everybody says about live theater and acting in the theater is that from night to night, you might do a very different line reading. You might suddenly feel a scene very differently. And with recorded music, I mean, I guess if you were improvising on stage, you might be able to actually follow that. But right. with the recorded music, yeah. And so that, there is that was the, no the trick what. with this play was, I mean... Um, was actually doing something that could be neutral enough that could mm-hmm. leave it open for the actors to have the space and freedom to perform how they were feeling right. in that scene, Without in that night, undermining it. but to still kind of hold it to something 
Interesting. Yeah. 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 And before we listen to this little tiny clip of the language archive, would you say this is a very typical sound for you? Um, I guess I guess it could be said to be a little. Obviously, where my brain works because I play the violin is very string right. oriented. This is this is all very extremely spare. So as it's on its own as a musical piece, it's it's not actually it's not something that you would just go sit go and listen, listen right, to. Right. Um, right. All right, so let's listen to a little bit of that. Well, so, um, Chris, let's talk about uh, Pride and Prejudice, or not even, it can be just generally your process, if there's a typical way that you work with a director before you start a uh, yeah. production. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, read the script. Right. <laughs> Good starting place. <laughs> um, uh, for, for me, you know, I, I don't tend to do really any preliminary work until, you know, maybe that first meeting and, and hearing what the director's vision is, mm-hmm. the world of the play, what, what it is we're making, etc. And, uh, you know, so I like a director to have a sort of clearer vision that helps me uh, a lot. But then, you know, I'll, I'll sort of write some music that feels like it might be a part of the world, but it's not anything specific necessarily. Mm-hmm. I personally... I mean, not for a particular place in the script or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know... For better or for worse, I'm I can't really do the music for the play until I see uh, a design run, mm-hmm. until I see like that 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 run through that's you know pretty close to to tech actually. So it, it and then I then I sort of watch it and score it like a film. It, you know, my approach is a little bit cinematic that way, which um, doesn't isn't always the easiest thing to do with with theater, but. Um, one of the good things about technology um, that we use now is that you have so much more control and you can finesse uh, uh, things so you can almost score things like a film because you can have give and take built into the way that the uh, the cues are built and you know things can take longer or things can you know Mm -hmm. that and um, so that that helps, but um, well, just so I'm clear. So are you are you saying that you might create a cue that the stage manager could actually extend if the in that particular moment lasts longer? Or are you just saying that you can start out with something and then stretch it if it turns out as you go through rehearsal that it needs to be longer? Both. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, you can. You know, if there's if there's a let's say a two minute scene or what is normally a two minute scene that's mm-hmm. underscored and mm-hmm. and you can build that in sort of multi parts so you know 
moments, you know, you, you, uh, bring in another element of something on this particular line and then, and you just build them sort of open ended so they can, uh, last longer when necessary. <laughs> uh, so there, there's just a lot of possibilities that, so that, you're saying that didn't you, used to be there. You don't start actually composing until nearly tech. Is that what I heard you say? No, no, I'll, I, I, uh, I don't specifically put things uh, into the right order in the I right see. place, right. If, that, if that makes sense. I mean, Will you write the basic themes early on and then sort of just develop them as you watch the... Yeah. Okay. And some, sometimes I'll just write a bunch of music. You know, it's like, I think all of this music might be in this place somewhere <laughs> right. uh-huh. at some point, you know, and just sort of come, come, come to tech with, with, you know, my bag of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and so much of tech is for me anyway. Uh, and I think for, for lighting designers too, we work very closely, um, is, is responsive. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in the moment we can change things, you know, instantly right. and, and, you know, because you could you could spend because you don't know until it's up there on the stage with the actors in the moment. You don't know if it's if it's going to work or not. Yeah. You could, you know, I could have written something two years ago and for two years be like, this is it. This is the perfect thing, and the director can be this is the perfect thing, and then you put it up there and it's not the perfect not thing, right? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> right. You, ever, you know it instantly, and right. so well, it's got to go to the drawing board, right? And. Um, uh, so that's, you know, it's good to be that flexible and be able to change that quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Computers help. <laughs> right. Overnight, overnight transformations. Um, do you tend to write themes for characters or write themes for um, themes in the language of the play? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it depends on, on, on the play, of course, but, um, and, and just even instrumentation and texture. Uh, will differ from character to character uh-huh. sometimes. Um, you tend to write more um, kind of orchestral stuff from what I've heard. of. Is, do you disagree with that? Uh, 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 I do, uh, uh, because I write. There, there's nothing I don't write, really. Uh-huh. You know, I, uh-huh. um, yes, I've, I've written a, you know, a lot of orchestral scores and things like that, You know, particularly the Lifeline shows. Yeah. They do a lot of adaptations of, of literature, so they're all very, you know, quite often period-specific uh, things mm-hmm. and, and you know you want to support that in, in the same way that the rest of the design does um, so I wouldn't you know Pride and Prejudice I'm not going to put an electronica score or right. you know something with, right. you know uh, although I wouldn't that say that that, that themes particularly early 1800s really I mean it's not like you're mimicking music of that time do you agree? Uh, it, it, uh, yes and no I mean I think that there is you have some liberty I mean because what we're doing is, you know, in the same way that if you see a film score for uh, uh, a classic story, so, you know, story uh, yeah. and it, here's an example, the, the, the film The Piano, yep. I don't know if you, if you remember that, yep. uh, Michael Nyman, famous contemporary composer, did the score for that. The music is nothing like that period, right? you know, but yet it still supports the film and it's, um, but yet it's not completely unlike that uh-huh. period, you know it's what I mean? influenced so, by it, yeah. yeah. I mean, but it's still very Michael Nyman-esque, if, right. you know, right. if that makes sense. So I yeah. guess, you know, I guess that's sort of, that's an example of something that sort of gave me liberty, if you will, to to, to not be so so tied to things, you know, 
harmonically, rhythmically. Right. You know. So, um, Chris, let's just listen to it. This is a tiny bit of, um, is it uh, like an introduction to Pride and Prejudice? Where does it come in the... Yeah, this is this is sort of the, the opening of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was at Lifeline Theater. I'm not sure I said that. Yes. Right. right. Great. Uh, okay. like this little um sort of it was tambourine tambourine yeah right great so we've had a sample of what each of you has done in the theater well does any of you have anything to say about any differences there might be in writing for theater as opposed to film and i know greg you haven't written for film right yeah no but so you're really a theater guy and you're an actor and you probably have more of an insular perspective yeah uh, yeah the the film the the whole film world is not it's something i haven't gotten into yet well so then daniel or chris does either of you have thoughts about what's different importantly different about uh composing for the screen versus the stage well you can you can change things as you go a little more you have a little more flexibility in that a film is a fixed you know fixed performance Mm -hmm. that you have to finish more or less and and um and just because i don't actually know very much about film scoring i assume you get essentially the edited film before you start composing so you can actually exactly match the length of yeah they, they you get you know the the first thing you do is you spot it and you just which is just watching it over and over and kind of like i like i did when i read the script for class mm-hmm. menagerie you just sort of place where you think music should be shouldn't be and and kind of go over that with the the director mm-hmm. um but uh, then, you know, in my case, I just uh, I just did a score for Chris Hefner's movie, The Poisoner, and um, and I scored in this in this room actually, and I would sit here at the piano and just play to the film over and over and over, and uh, kind of go back and listen to that and see what was working, what wasn't working. So which you're is, like Greg, you're improvising essentially as yeah, you watch, yeah, uh-huh. more or less. Is that how you work too, Chris? Uh, a lot of the time, uh, <laughs> music. Uh, comes out of improvisation uh-huh. more times than not, uh-huh. you know. Um, that's how I usually start anyway. And, that you know, play for 10 minutes and then sort of, well, this part, this part, that's mm-hmm. crap, whatever. Right. You, know, you, <laughs> right. you sort of edit and refine it, and then that becomes the basis for something bigger. Something more composed. You know? Well, I, I would think that because theater is a much more uh, verbal medium than film, that there's a danger of the music competing with the language. Well, yeah, that for the for film, the the music can can be a little more. Uh, it can sit a little closer to your ear. It can be a little more uh, of a character, I think, mm-hmm. than it can maybe in theater, where uh, you run the danger of uh, burying the performance. And you know, the, the they're both in both cases, the music is is there to support what you're what you're seeing right. uh, and what the story is, but. Um, I think in film you have a little more opportunity to uh, for the music to sort of play out a little more, whereas it has to sit Declare back. Declare itself, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you agree with that, Chris? Sure. And you also have a, a, a finished final mix that you know that will never change. You know, in theater, an actor might be louder one day, or an actor might be quieter one day. Mm-hmm. So even um, you know, so underscoring in theater is probably the hardest thing to do yeah because you can't you know it needs to function 
in uh, it needs to not be noticed. You know, when, when we're doing our jobs well, our, our work should not be noticed all the time. Are there, do you have, do you developed any rules of thumb about what kinds of scenes or what kinds of moments do or don't lend themselves to having music? I don't know. I think it changes all the time. <laughs> I think it's more a process for me of, uh, you know, putting music everywhere and then uh, frantically removing it, you know, <laughs> from everything where it doesn't belong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know. Uh-huh. And I usually end up with a lot, you know, less than I expect, you know, than I initially expected to. Yeah, that's it's amazing what you you're like. It's just better. No, take yeah. this out. Uh, well, you want to, you know, you, you approach it. You want to write. You want you want to put your put yourself in every scene. But mm-hmm. but uh, it's uh, it gets a little monotonous and irritating to to have music under everything. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, going back to something that um that I said so interestingly at the beginning, which was that the music can be less, um, I guess, varied, less uh, narrative. It can it can be a little more repetitive, let's say. Is that true? Do you agree with that? In, In When you're doing, well, not now comparing film to stage, but just comparing theatrical music to music music. It seems like because of what you just said, that it, that it declares itself less, it also can change less be but i don't know is anybody nodding <laughs> help me well, out here <laughs> well it's it's not necessarily um i mean like i was saying about some of my stuff it's it's not something that you would sit down and listen to you know it's own. It, yeah. it would you know there at times it would get very boring and at times you wouldn't think that you were actually even listening to something mm-hmm. it's so spare mm-hmm. um i don't because it's but, like listening to just the solo voice in the concerto or something. I mean, it's just a piece of, of the whole. Well, it'd be yeah, not yeah, not even just the solo voice. It'd be listening to like the bass line. Right, right. Uh, but I don't think that that's. I don't think that that has to be the case for, for all of. You know, that's that'd be specifically maybe uh, depending on the circumstance. Underscore. There are no rules. Yeah. There are times where you'd want a, a fuller theme and an mm-hmm. actual. Development. Um, a melody to bring you something. Chris, were you going to say something in answer to that? Uh, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I, I, one, one sort of thing that I've always um, sort of solves it for me, um, uh, you know, if you think of, you know, underscore in theater as, um, you know, the accompaniment and the dialogue is the melody. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? That's, yeah. that's a pretty simple way of, right. of describing it. Right. But, you know, you're, you're careful also about instrumentation and, and even frequency range, you know, voices are sort of mid-range, so you don't want to have a lot of um, texture in that In the middle, range. so more so bass and more, yeah. high soprano range. And I, and I wouldn't say that music can't declare anything necessarily, but more that that declaration is is uh, more in, intuited and felt than, than sort of, uh, you know... Declared. Right. <laughs> uh, sure. Chris, you said you, before we uh, started talking on tape you started you said you would be really interested in getting into film what do you see as um being the artistic rewards of writing for film uh, we don't have to talk about the financial rewards sat- <laughs> right uh satisfying uh the control freak within me probably uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Um, i guess as we were kind of alluding to you can be more for whatever reason you're allowed to be more expressive in film in film Mm-hmm. Um, and 
audiences are a lot more used to. You, you, if you take an average film score and put that in, in a play, directors would lose their minds, you know. Right. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just acculturation, but I had the experience of going to a play recently that essentially was underscored like a movie, and I did find it very annoying. I found it mm. obtrusive. I didn't, it, and I don't, again, I don't know if that's just because that's what I'm used to as an audience member, or if there really is something intrinsic to the medium that, that rejects that kind I, of. I think part of it is uh, we're going to see the live performers. I think the thing that I'm always afraid of is is leading the performance. The thing about music is it's it's an unspoken language that it it hits you uh, emotionally. So there's a danger of if it's heavy-handed or if it's too present throughout you you lose or you're swayed or you're fighting right what you're hearing versus the the, the beauty of live theater is that you're in a room with these people actually performing and you're you're getting much more than just their gesture I mean there is energy that, right. you know these these people are putting out there two, two things sort of having two thoughts as you're talking one is in terms of um, live theater I think part of my reaction to that play that I felt was overscored was that it actually felt fraudulent sometimes. Like the music was telling me to have a yep. feeling that the actors hadn't created. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I was thinking is what I had never focused on is that the, because the movie is complete when you write the music, there's no danger of that. The, well, there is. I mean, you could try to hype something up, right. but essentially you know what is there and what there is to say about it. Mm -hmm. But as I say, it's the uh, underscore in theater is the hardest thing to do mm -hmm. because you can ruin a scene faster than anybody else in the room. <laughs> <Right>. yes, <laughs> yes. Let me ask one more, maybe too abstract question, but each playwright has a voice, has a rhythm, has some kind of musicality in their language. Is that something that you at all consciously analyze or respond to as you're composing? Chris? For sure. Can you talk about an example of that at all? Mm. I think it's um, perhaps most obviously presents itself in comedy, or um, there's there's a lot of uh, plays written now that are closer in style to a screenplay than yes. what has been traditionally, you know, on the stage for the last hundred years, yeah, or whatever. Um, uh, and by uh, that you mean more everyday of, language, less heightened, and less clip, more clipped, and lots of short scenes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so and you know lots of sort of kind of bumper endings to scenes, and you know so so it's, there's there's quicker motion that lends itself to a more rhythmic, uh, percussive kind of approach yeah. sometimes. So that's 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 a simple it's example simple, of yeah. uh, you know p pace and and. Um, uh, you know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't want something more languid with uh, you know a piece like that necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that kind of thing. But sure, every every uh, um, you know some some language some text moves very slow. You know, you're just reading it. You you know the pace of it is written slowly. Yeah. Um, and that just you know that's not even something I think about. It's just. You know, it's uh, kind of second nature, and you you know you wouldn't. I, I guess I, d I don't think about. I don't analyze stuff too much. I I, I 
trust my brain, you know, to, to, to just sort of react. And usually it's, it's right. Or just instinctive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything to add? No, that about sums it up. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think it's a subconscious thing that you you naturally hear the language, and that's part of their character. Right, their the way that you know it's all it's all music and melody, and it's rhythm, and, and that it informs it. Well, thanks very much for joining me to talk about uh, your work. I I think it's something that um an audience because you're doing your work well isn't that conscious of and yet has such a profound influence on how you experience that production. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.